Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Well, if ever there was a day to be by the Thames, surely this is it. Whether that pleasure has to be delayed until after working hours, or your life works in such a way that you're allowed to spend a bit of time dangling your toes in the Thames, you may well find yourself crossing over or gazing upon one of London's many bridges. And you'll be neither the first nor the last, as I hope we're going to show in today's episode, which is recorded at the Museum of London Docklands, where a new exhibition is underway, containing representations past, present and future of the bridges of this city. We'll be gazing down from long-gone buildings, glimpsing a vanished bridge via one of the earliest forms of photography, and in more ways than one, thanking our lucky stars that it's not 1976. In fact, the date is the 18th of July, 2014, and I'm N. Quentin Wolfe, and this is Londonist Out Loud. Hey baby, let me take you down to a place of strange sights and sound. You ain't never seen the light before, just a long through from your front door. of privileges awaits me today I'm enjoying one of them at the moment I'm sitting in what must be my favourite cafe aesthetically speaking in all of London wood beams everywhere you look wonderful comfortable armchairs of a, a drawing room style and this is preparatory to seeing an exhibition here at the Museum of London Docklands with me the senior curator of painting prints and drawings Francis Marshall hi hi do you use this cafe very much if I worked here I would be down here all the time <laughs> yeah we do tend to use it quite a bit actually either just just to grab a drink or also sometimes have meetings I can't blame you at all and I must say because we were here about a year ago when we were looking at the estuary exhibition at the time. I'm not sure if we hit a different time of year or what, but there seems to be, apart from the good weather and a summery vibe, there seems to be a lot more bustle and activity. As you come through the main doors here, there's a group of people working away on iPads that are looking very industrious. So the cafe is buzzing. It's, it's, a, it's a good time of year for people to be 
coming into Docklands. There's plenty going on, as there usually is. So, uh, so, so this is situation normal. Last time, because uh, I, I remember we recorded early in the morning, maybe we've got an atypical feeling. Well, it may be the time of day. Last time, as you said, we were first thing in the morning. It's a good time to come in in the afternoon, I think. To one side of the cafe, we've got the Mudlarks Gallery. There's some cartoon characters and a cartoon crane. And when we look through the doorway that they surround, it seems as though there's some maybe child-focused activity there. Yeah, it is. It's, it's basically for, for kids, um, sort of playing on the idea of the, the mudlarks um, going down on the banks of the River Thames and uh, finding out what's, what's on the foreshore. Is this an exhibition for children or do they get deposited there while the adults go and do adult things? I think it's a sort of activity space, might be a way of putting it. It's a, it's a place to explore and learn a little bit at the same time. That's exactly the sort of place I would have loved when I was a kid. Uh, we, however, are going to be going the opposite side of the cafe, and we can see from the sign above the doorway through that there's an exhibition to do with bridges there. Maybe we could begin by sketching out what the exhibition seeks to show. Sure. Bridges basically uses our art collections. About 90% of the works in the exhibition are from the museum's art collections, so that's paintings, prints, drawings, photographs... Um, and also some contemporary installation pieces. The idea really was to look at, I suppose, how the bridge influences the visual feel of the city. There were a couple of reasons, really, for why we were thinking about doing an exhibition about bridges. One, it's the 120th anniversary of the opening of Tower Bridge this year, and clearly that's had a very powerful visual impact upon the city of London. Um, And also... Just at the moment, uh, Thomas Heatherwick's proposed garden bridge is in under the, at the planning stage. Um, so presumably in the not-too-distant future, we'll find out whether he's got the go-ahead for that or not. However, um, so clearly if that were to go ahead, that would be um, quite a significant visual statement in the city. Perhaps a good idea for those who aren't familiar with that proposal to describe what that might look like and whereabouts it will be positioned. Yeah, sure. So um, the Garden Bridge proposal is to link um, Temple Tube Station with the South Bank. So we're talking central London, just a bit further west from Waterloo, but before Blackfriars. The idea for a Garden Bridge originated with Joanna Lumley, um, who had originally found uh, proposed the idea as a memorial to Princess Diana, in fact, Um, And the idea had come from her childhood in India, um, where in the mornings there was a lot of mist in the garden where she lived. And basically you'd have this very thick mist with with plants poking out of the mist, so they'd look like they were floating on a sea of mist. So that that was where she got this vision from, basically, I guess. It didn't get turned into a memorial to Princess Diana, as we know. But some years later, uh, Thomas Heatherwick came back to Joanna Lumley and said, why don't we try and make it a reality? So the idea is basically, it's a bridge, a footbridge, but also with provision for cyclists, from Temple Tube, across to the South Bank, and it will effectively be a park on a bridge. So 
with various types of plantings, including reasonably substantial trees. I'm not talking about no, not red, redwoods, yeah, or anything like that. But you know, fairly fairly significant trees. So that's basically what it is. It, it, you know, it will run everything all, all the way from sort of like alpine terrain, low-lying plants, right up to fairly substantial bushes. Well, okay. So when you look up the river, and, and there's been a couple of TV shows where they've provided you with the helicopter or drone shot straight up the Thames, or as straight as you can get it, and you see the bridges in sequence and Tower Bridge stands out half a mile. It's just such a different design, such a different concept. But this Garden Bridge sounds like it's going to be something else altogether. Yeah, well, in the exhibition, we actually have a, a visualisation of the bridge. We, we went to the Thomas Heatherwick studio and said, can you provide anything for the show so that we can um, not just reflect contemporary and historical bridges, but also sort of have a, a, a look into the short-term future, possibly? Um, so we've got we've got a visualisation of it in the exhibition, so you'll see what it is like. Having said that, it, it is quite interesting in a way because although it obviously clearly will be a fairly significant, if it, if it were to go ahead, we don't know if it's going to go ahead yet. But if it gets if it gets to go ahead, it will be a fairly significant feature. But then again, all of the recent bridges, if you think about it, um, the Golden Jubilee footbridge, either side of the Hungerford Bridge or Charing Cross Bridge, and the Millennium Bridge have all been quite visually striking structures architecturally the other point to bear in mind is where they are there's this there's this document called i can't remember exactly what it's called it's called the something like the the london view um document basically something that the gla put out and it kind of maps out all the various panoramas and vistas across london um in, in order to um assess the visual impact of any proposed building work um, and this view, the view from um, Westminster Pier right through to St Paul's is like one of the sacrosanct <laughs> views. So uh, obviously Thomas Heatherwick's bridge would be slap bang in the middle of that. So we can rest easy that it's, it's not going to intrude into the view from St, into St Paul's. <laughs> It'll be there, but it won't be totally intrusive, I don't think. I can't wait to see the visualisation. I believe I'm right in saying that all the way over at Richmond Hill, Richmond Park, there's a protected view of St Paul's right the way through. I think if you stand on Henry's Mound at uh, Richmond Park, it's law that you have to be able to see St Paul's Cathedral. And so you've got buildings that are strange shapes, you've got forest that's been cut through and so forth, so that you can glimpse the cathedral. There definitely are these views across London, down the river at various points, the views from Tower Bridge and so on, views across London from Hampstead and and from... um, high grounds around the city they're, they're all mapped out and, and the implications I think they are used in assessing any planning you know for, for its impact upon these views as somebody rooted so firmly in the visual in your work do you have a preferred way of seeing London and, and the, the thing I've got in my mind when I say that is we've recently been talking quite a bit about maps and those sorts of visualizations from above and seeing things represented in that way I'm a big fan of kind of helicopters and high up places and getting to look down and see what's going on there other people can't wait to get into the sewers and, and look around at what's underneath it do you have a preferred way of seeing the city is there a protected view that you would uh, keep above all others I don't think I've got a protected view but but in fact part of the part of the sort of idea behind the exhibition was because of this idea that when you get onto a bridge that is an opportunity to actually see the city you know um, and a lot of people had said to me at various points prior to working on the show you know when I'm on a bridge that's when you know when I see the view of London from a bridge that's when I remember like something like you know 
now I live in London or, or somebody had even said to me that's when I remember why I live in London you know it's that point where you know you, you, you get out of the densely packed street and suddenly you're on the bridge and things kind of open up the city kind of opens up the river kind of splits the city out and, and you get the view in a way that you don't when you're actually in the maze of streets and lanes and what have you so in a sense the answer to your question is in a way probably from a bridge and in my case it's probably going to be something like the Millennium Bridge or possibly Southwark Bridge because I cross those bridges on my way to work and it's particularly with the Millennium Bridge you know early in the morning it's still plenty of people crossing it but it's fairly quiet in some respects it's just people going on the way to work and so on but there is a sort of sudden peace and quiet to being on the bridge there's no traffic obviously it's a footbridge and and you've got St Paul's in front of you you've got the river you've just got this moment of calm almost before you're back onto the Mm. (laughs) I'm, I'm thinking of that film 28 Days Later and they've famously managed to shoot some of the scenes of London, post, post-apocalyptic London, uh, that were devoid of all human life. They simply managed to do that by getting up early in the morning and doing so. And a, a couple of those scenes were on, I think, Westminster Bridge. And, of course, there's that wonderful experience as well, isn't there, on one or two of the train bridges where you pass over and you're thinking about nothing in particular, reading your paper or whatever, and then suddenly, particularly at night, you glance up and there's this beautiful vista passing you. Yeah, the Thames opens the city up. It's interesting, the river's why the city's here but at the same time it splits the city in two and the bridges kind of stitch it back together again and obviously they allow you then to, to, to see it in a, in, a, in a slightly different way a, a certain amount of the work in the exhibition is about placing the Thames sort of, you know, sort of reinforcing the idea of the river as a physical presence in the city and to look at its impact on the city and then to look at how the bridges sit in relation to the Thames particularly of a significant historical period. I mean, there's, there's a big panorama from the late 18th century which shows London from the roof of Albion Mills, which is now gone. That's on Bankside, basically. At, uh, and, and so, basically, Blackfriars Bridge is in the middle of the, city, of the image. On the right-hand side is London Bridge, and on the left-hand side is Westminster Bridge. Because it's kind of interesting that for, for many years there was only one bridge, the London Bridge. And then suddenly you get into the 18th century and they build Westminster Bridge, and then very shortly after that they build Blackfriars Bridge. When you get into the 19th century, of course, they start to proliferate quite considerably because as soon as you get the railways coming in, you get another need for bridges. There's another contemporary work uh, in, in the show by an artist called Suki Chan, which um, is, is two light boxes which show the river and its impact on the city today. And it's almost like, on the one hand... You can see how the number of bridges has proliferated, but in contrast with the the the, um, the 18th century panorama, it's it's interesting. There's almost like the 18th century panorama is, is almost idyllic, and again, you know, this idea of the river opening the city up and, and the bridge being a place to see the city, I suppose, is epitomised by Wordsworth's lines written upon Westminster Bridge from 1802, which is was about 10 years after this panorama was made. So it's essentially words with city that you're looking at in that print that big panoramic print and you get this rather idyllic view of the city it's, it's uh, a, a very different proposition to the city revealed by Suki Chan's piece which is much more like Blade Runner or something like that You know, suddenly you've got this proliferation of high rise buildings um, it's a nocturnal 
shot so it's a much more dark slightly more brooding vision of the city but still looking at how the place of the, the river and the way the bridges are sort of there this is looking down across London Bridge and, and that sort of area so you, you, you get a sense of how the bridges have proliferated in, in the past what are we talking about a couple hundred years I can't wait to, to get in there. I'm only going to uh, attempt to insert one further item of business before we get in and see some of these images. And uh, that uh, I can't help noticing when we talk about the river and about water and about vistas and being able to see what's around you because of the space afforded by water that the museum benefits, of course, from being on the side of the dock just here on the quayside and whilst it faces the quay and I've just come over, I should say, from Canary Wharf so I've come over the bridge there what I, I suppose I, I don't quite feel at the moment is where we are on all four sides in relation to water are we sort of surrounded, is this an island are we, is there just some cut-throughs what are the waterways here and how do they relate to the river well we're literally on, on basically on what probably would have been one of the old wharves it's, 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 it's part of the dock it's not an island because if you walk out of the back door which as a member of staff I can do <laughs> the public can't you don't need to cross any water at all in terms of the main entrance of the museum you're then looking out onto, onto the uh, actual I don't know what the technical term is but the dock areas where the boats would come in from the river and they'd obviously make their way through various um, harbor- sort of con- conduits and arteries yeah. and into it's basically like a harbour space and so the, the boats would come would have originally come right up to the to the wharf outside the front of the museum they'd have offloaded whatever it was that they were shipping and, and we've still got some of those cranes there yeah well exactly that's right so so that's where we are the other thing is in the old days the road would have taken you around the back and then the dock gates were originally right behind us and then you'd have been on the road into central london ah right so what what area of town is that out of the back there tower hamlets basically Okay, that makes a lot of sense. And then we're into markets and the area where some of this stuff is going to get sold. Yes, I suppose Limehouse, basically. Well, that's enough talk. Uh, let's go and talk. Well, we're going to go do some more talk, otherwise it's going to be a very quiet show. But we're going in. How is it laid out? What's the, the first thing we encounter? Is it ordered in a particular way? Well, the first thing you're going to find is, is the Suki Chan light boxes that I was just talking about. There. We're going to transition with the aid of a brief commercial. Londonist Out Loud is sponsored by Audible. To claim your free audiobook from a range of 60,000 titles, try the Audible service on 30-day free trial. Audiobooks can be saved as MP3s and played on your compatible phone, tablet, or desktop, or burned to a CD, and they're yours to keep. For your free audiobook, go to www.audible.co.uk slash Londonist and click through. We are at the Museum of London Docklands, and we've just arrived in front of two light boxes in the exhibition space and it's a darkened area the prints and pictures that i can see on the wall are illuminated softly but the uh, the, the two images here in front of us as you say light boxes and very very vibrant they look as though perhaps they were taken at dusk it's certainly not fully nighttime to my eyes what i can't quite place whilst i can I certainly recognize uh, and we're looking down onto London, I should say. I can certainly recognise some of the architectural features and some of the famous buildings. But, but where are we positioned in terms of our direction of view? It's kind of looking in two directions at the same time because there are two light boxes. So one's looking west, one's looking east, and we're in a building that no longer exists. What's there now is I don't actually know what the building's called, but it's it's the building, the new building in front of the shard, the sort of mini shard in front of the shard. So you're looking down on. London Bridge, Cannon Street, 
Southwark Bridge and the Millennium Bridge. Uh, oh, so this is Southwark Cathedral in the foreground? This is Southwark Cathedral, yeah. So you're looking right down into the borough, effectively, in this particular part of the image. Um, and you can sort of see, because you're looking down across London Bridge and this Tower Bridge in, in the, in the right-hand panel, sort of looking at this idea of the bridge as, a, as a, a sort of conduit, in a way, from the purposes of the exhibition, it's looking at how the bridges are a point where people navigate in a sense, because you've got London Bridge Station, which is where obviously people come in to London in the morning. <coughs> London Bridge, they cross London Bridge or one of the other bridges. They may come into Cannon Street. Around here, you've got some of the sort of railway bridges. Really, it's about the Thames bridges, but it's quite interesting to get in some of these other bridges as well. But as I said, the other thing was to look at the sense of how this, the river kind of impacts physically within the city. And, and, you know, you get that sense of it cleaving the city, basically and then the bridge is kind of stitching it together. I'm no photography expert, but it looks to me as though something interesting has been done here, and I'm going to have a, a guess that it's the exposure speed. We can see the roofs of trains, we can see one or two vehicles in the shot, and those that are in motion, uh, there seems to be a blurring effect. Some of the lights are a little blurred in the background. Do you know what process was, was used here that's giving us that feeling? Yeah, it's actually, uh, it's actually a film still. Both images are actually drawn from a film that uh, Suki Chan made, um, which is called Sleep, Walk, Sleep, Talk, which actually looked at the city at night. Um, so this is, as you were saying, it's the city at dusk, basically. It's just the city transitioning between the night and the day, but the rest of the film looked at the city at night and how people use the city at night. These are a number of stills that she took from the film these two were obviously particularly useful from my point of view because they happened to show the river and they showed the bridges but this kind of sense of arrested motion that you get for instance with the trains with the traffic it's due to that their, their film stills i was just uh, wondering when you see pictures of other cities obviously they're dealing with different atmospheric and um well i guess pollution levels as well must play a part in it and that led me to thinking that if you were going to try to do something like this in i don't know the 50s maybe you'd end up with a very different quality of photographic image do you know do, do photographers have anything in particular that they're needing to deal with where the atmosphere and the times of day are concerned around london I don't think there's anything specific to London. I mean, the photographer will choose how to set up their shot according to the light effects and according to the effects that they want to get. I mean, there are obviously some images from earlier in the 20th century in the exhibition and they don't necessarily suffer, if you like, from being done at a slightly different time when there may have been more or less pollution. I cannot divorce shots like this of the city from a feeling of romance. And yeah. I wonder whether there's, you know, that soft focus feeling that's brought in, in uh, particularly in bad films from the 50s, where every time the camera goes to the leading lady, it's all in soft focus, so you can barely make her out. I was just wondering what, what, uh, to what degree pollution plays its part in making <laughs> us feel warm towards London. Well, I suppose it's possible. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, as I said, there, there are some images in the city... Um, images in the exhibition there are some images in the exhibition from um, earlier periods and, and uh, actually they're no more soft focus than anything else actually I think it depends you know a good, a good photographer um, can, can do all sorts of things to either enhance the soft focus effect or, or to cut through it and get something a bit crisper you know, it, was, it was your choice, I'm presuming, where everything is positioned here. If you've uh, curated this in the... Yes, yes. Where do you want the visitor to go from here? 
Well, the way it's kind of laid out, and actually there isn't a particular route round. It doesn't matter whether you go left or right or anything like that. I suppose the layout of the exhibition space with this big diagonal wall cutting through the through the, the room um, tends to push you in this direction, but it doesn't actually, in that sense, matter where you go. I was going to move round that way. Well, let's, let's do exactly that, yeah. We're going off to our right, and as with some of the buildings to do with the East India Company, uh, again, very similar sorts of structures for very similar purposes. We've got this lovely red brick construction big thick beams keeping the beamed ceilings up and we've rounded a corner and we're looking at a lot of miserable people by the looks of it they they don't look happy about what they're doing Um, they seem to be crossing the bridge what's the story here well as i said um part of the idea initially was this kind of sense of the the bridge opening the city up and playing with this idea that that you're getting words with poem um, but at the same time you can't get away from the idea of the crowd crossing the bridge and, and things like T.S. Eliot's The Wasteland and the idea of the crowd flowing across London Bridge so there's a series of uh, works in the exhibition which in fact we're standing in front of now which look at the crowd um, and this image in particular that we're looking at at the moment is, is by uh, a photographer called Barry Lewis and it's London Bridge in 1976 or mid-70s and uh, I suppose it's that classic shot of you know that rather sort of do a black and white grainy black and white mid-70s shot of of this crowd of as you say rather sort of gloomy looking um, commuters coming home across London Bridge towards London Bridge Station um, there's a wonderful sort of hazy quality to it which kind of made me think when you were, you, you were talking about the pollution that it, that's probably that sort of late evening autumnal kind of um, light I guess giving, giving that effect Yes I think if you were to uh, make an exhibition about uh, depression or something like that I really feel like this photograph could be at home there as well It's uh, the, the few things I know about the 70s all involve people dressed in this fashion uh, donkey jackets and duffel coats uh, handle mar- moustaches are plenty thick ties several people appear to be looking over the uh, bridge uh, uh, wondering whether it might not be better down there I think I'm right in saying 76 was a pretty economically terrible time and this look, really looked like they're in the thick of it well yes it was it was it was a it was definitely a period of uh, economic downturn and and uh, what have you also having said that there was a massive heat wave but uh, rather <laughs> randomly but there you go just to 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 add to people's uh, fun and our friends at Ghost Signs would love the fact that up in the top right-hand corner we can see uh, some sort of an advertisement for Ridgeway's Tea. That's right, yeah, you're looking... The, the actual view is from the south looking north into the city. Uh, so all these people are coming home, effectively, because most of them are coming in the same direction. Um, but as you say, there is this sort of feeling that, um, you know... <laughs> They've had a pretty hard day, by the look of it, let's put it that way. And there's an interesting uh, contrast and compare with one of the pictures just to the right here. Yeah, there is, because uh, th- this, this shot is actually... Uh, it's, it's London Bridge in the 1930s, 1937, and I kind of like it because there's a much greater sense of energy and purpose and, and, and dynamism in, in this image. This, this huge kind of vision of clouds, these wonderful snowy, fluffy clouds coming up the Thames and, and uh, this clearly quite a, quite a sunny day, you can see from the shadows but that have been cast it must have been fairly bright sunshine but because you're looking across the bridge uh, down the river 
the people are actually moving across from left to right. Um, in, in big strides. In big strides, looking very energetic. So, that, so they've obviously been energised. Or perhaps they're just looking forward to go home. I'm not quite sure which. But it's just a different feel. It's the same thing. I've just realised there's a photographic language that's going on in that first picture of the crowd that we looked at. And you see the crowd from a slightly elevated position front on, and they're all yeah. approaching you. And the places you see that most often are on financial programmes or things to do with health and insurance, where, <laughs> they, where they're giving the idea of people who, you know, five out of these 100 people are going to die of yeah, well, it, it is interesting how, how, how different languages, how, you know, how different visual languages affect how you read things. I mean, that, as I said, the grainy black and white, the, the mass of people coming towards you, does, it does give it a particularly downbeat kind of feel to it, whereas this other one by Henry Turner, it's much more, there's just a greater sense of dynamism. And then I suppose if you, sorry, if we look just a little bit further down here... This is another version of uh, crowds coming over London Bridge. This is 1985, but you're slightly more elevated, so you're you're looking down at them, and and, and the effect then becomes more. Um, it's almost it's almost playing with that sort of modernist idea, you know, this idea of the crowd and and looking down onto the crowd almost. Um, uh, and again, there's a, there's a, there's still that sort of uniformity to it, but it it, it, it it's again a slightly different feel from the the 1970s six image, Barry Lewis's image, because here it's it's much more about this procession of regimented individuals, whereas the other one, Barry Lewis, is much more a kind of downbeat feel. Important to say as well that the uniformity is literal here because everybody, they're almost entirely men, but they're all wearing business suits and carrying a briefcase each. Clearly a a picture of businessmen on their way to work. It's 1985. I guess the the yuppie thing is in the ascendance. But if you're about to be attacked by an army of accountancy clones, then this is what it would look like. Yeah, I guess it would. <laughs> it's not a, a thought that I want to entertain for too long, actually. It's m- much more frightening than anything else I've seen. We were mentioning earlier on uh, the, uh, a talk given by Travis Elbra here a little while ago, and he was talking about bridges in popular culture, and you mentioned the Dalek invasion of Earth, which I think is one of the 1960s Doctor Who uh, f- films, I, I think I'm rightly saying. Could be an episode. I bet you we get more messages about that detail than about anything else in today. Um, and, and the Daleks crossing the bridge there in a threatening fashion very much resonates with the image we're looking at. Yeah, I think that's right. This one definitely is more about a sort of rather regimented sense of the commuter um, and the city worker in this case. I suppose it's interesting because the bridge is necessarily... I don't know whether this is going to sound like a foolish comment or not, or whether I've got a point, but it's, it polarises the direction of travel. There's no wandering about on a bridge. You're going from one side to the other. Well, yeah, you are. And particularly with London Bridge, you know, you do very much have one way to go. You know, people are either coming out of London Bridge Station to go into the city, or they're coming out of the city to go to London Bridge Station. And, and you know, it's actually quite interesting. There's another piece just behind us, actually, by an artist called Kerry Young, uh, it's called Lions Made by Walking, and it's a slide um, projection installation. So you're probably going to hear the sound of the slide projector um, uh, rotating the slides as we're talking. And uh, I wanted to include it because it, it, it kind of subverts the whole commuter thing, rather. 
in the sense that she's also sort of looking at, I suppose, the ritualistic element. It's a daily thing, backwards and forwards across the bridge. And so what she's done is she did a performance uh, in which she literally walked backwards and forwards repetitively um, across London Bridge during the rush hour. A bit of description here for the listener. We're looking at more or less eye level along the bridge. The crowd's unaware, I suspect, or, or choosing to ignore the camera here are coming either side of us. Meanwhile, we have the uh, model who's dressed uh, in uh, clothes that suggest she might be off to work, and she's approaching the camera and then kind of changing her mind and, and walking off away a good, a good few feet and then changing her mind again and then re-approaching. Yeah, that's right. I mean, she literally does walk a line in the crowd because, as you were saying, at this point in the rush hour, the, the density of the crowd is, is pretty significant and to actually keep walking back and forwards is a tricky thing. When you're going in the same direction as the crowd, there's no problem. But as soon as you turn around and try and walk back, then, then you've got this issue all of a sudden because everybody's coming towards you. It's kind of interesting. If you stick with the installation, you know, there's certain points where, you know, you can clearly see um, somewhat dischuffed commuters having to negotiate this woman who suddenly turned around rather randomly. I, I don't think this could be uh, photographed now. This was made in 2003 and the thing notable about the pedestrians here other than their attire is that they're not on mobile phones and I'm, I'm pretty sure if she tried to do this now then she'd collide with absolutely every single person who'd be busy tweeting and Facebooking. <laughs> but it's, there, there is something really interesting to my mind in, uh, and, and maybe a little bit disconcerting in the way that everybody is studiously uh, ignoring the camera and, and it really is only a few people who are bothering to pay her the time of day. Yeah it is, that's right everybody's obviously, they're on the bridge but, but probably they're already at their desks pretty much mm. uh, and as you say they, they kind of ignore the camera because this is somewhat the beauty of it but the way it's presented is it's almost as if you are standing behind the camera you know, you're, you're, as you say, you're looking pretty much as if you were on the bridge yourself. So you're behind the camera, you're watching these people who, um, with typical British reserve, completely ignore that it's there. <laughs> It'd be interesting to try out the, the same experiment in a bunch of different cities and see what happens to the camera, to the artist. Well, quite, quite, yeah. We are heading round further into the oh. exhibition now with a, an urgency which suggests this might be a piece that he likes, Francis, is pointing towards a very luscious feeling picture. And, ah, I know exactly what this is because there are trees on it. Yeah, this is the, this is the, the Thomas Heatherwick's visualisation of, of the Garden Bridge. And as you can see, there are some fairly substantial uh, plants on it, but, but none of them quite go so far as to intrude into the, into the vista, really. What I kind of liked about it is uh, not just as a representation of, of this proposed bridge was the idea that, um, it's, again, it's that sort of almost idyllic view of the, of the city... Um, as a sort of contrast to, to the, the slightly more dystopian view of the commuter, I guess. Um, but like you know, there there are no there are no cranes or building sites in this vision of, of London. You know, it's it's finished. It's it's, it's a it's a complete London. We just put the the final <laughs> the final detail of, of the Garden Bridge in, and there you are. The the, the water's glass calm. Can invite the neighbours round for a cup of tea now. Absolutely, we can. Yeah. Well, let's. I'll try and do this justice. The first thing I notice is it's got, to my mind, at least in silhouette, 
something of a correspondence to the Millennium Bridge. They're certainly constructed in different ways, and the Millennium Bridge is all about uh, tubular steel and um, bits of uh, wire holding things together. Um, this is none of those, but the, the, the overall shape of it uh, bears some resemblance. But this is this is more like um, it's kind of an Olympic feel to my mind. Maybe even a bit of an Art Deco thing going on. The bridge supports two bridge supports um seem to suddenly splay out in this um in this gush of um supporting material i don't know what, what it is concrete or something um and they look very uh, very grand indeed and uh, right at the the center of the bridge it's very very fine indeed it seems almost as though the two explosions of material might not even quite reach each other and supported on each of the two main supports is the uh, thickest part of the trees and shrubs and so forth and it thins out until I suspect that bit right in the middle might just be uh, a a few low bushes Uh, what do you think of it? well it's quite impressive I mean basically you don't quite get the sense of it from here but but if you were to look at it from above um, as you say um, it, it basically it flares out from the riverbank um, and then it's widest where it um, sits on, on the, um, the piers. So it's a bit of a figure eight type thing. Yeah, slightly elongated figure eight effectively. It narrows back down towards the middle um, and obviously the type of planting corresponds to the, the amount of space there is for the, for the tree or the plant. Um, but also where it sort of flares out from the, uh, the piers, um, the idea was that you know you'd obviously have a central <coughs> avenue, um, which would be the, the main route across the bridge and through the garden. But where it widens out, you'd be able to walk off effectively off the beaten path, literally. Um, and then uh, it's not it's not a, a, a pure curve that it's actually sort of. Um, faceted so you could effectively almost in theory at any rate be on your own little sort of parapet looking across the river it's a very nice idea i suppose that's one of the commodities that's uh, the rarest in a city isn't it is a a sense of not actual privacy necessarily but a sense of privacy yeah i think i think that's that was what it was about you know it plays with the idea of the bridge as a place to see the city um, but also it gives you a sense of being slightly um, taken away from, from the crowd. Um, and as I said, as somebody who uses bridges fairly often, there's, uh, there's nothing worse when you're feeling gloomy on your way home than having a, a bunch of people with <laughs> cameras <laughs> getting in the way. This is about as far from the 1976 picture as you could uh, wish to get. Well, I, I think this is pretty attractive. Do you know what the uh, politics are around this? You mentioned that Joanna Lumley had had a hand in the initial idea, but do you know which organisations are behind it and which ones are anti, or you know, does it, everyone think it's a good idea? Or? I'm not quite sure what, what the politics are around it, actually, to be honest with you. It's got a lot of support, I think, as far as I'm aware, a lot of a lot of Londoners, actually, I think probably a, a fairly significant number of Londoners, when there have been surveys, tend to be behind it. But, you know, like anything, it, it throws up debate one way or the other. Some people are going to love it, some people are going to hate it, aren't they? Mm-hmm. Well, it looks like a smart place for uh, crossing, and it's an attractive design. The, the thing I always find with it is, as time moves forward, in particular in the realism of these artistic uh, representations become more and more realistic, it kind of feels like it doesn't need doing now. It feels like <laughs> we've got it. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's right. I mean, it, it does, you know, you look at that and you think it's a photograph. 
if you didn't know the bridge didn't exist, you wouldn't question it, in fact. But it's kind of interesting if we look just behind us, if we go just over here, um, this print... Um, oh, I recognise this. Yeah, this is from 19, oh, 1976. This is from 1766. It's a print by uh, an Italian artist called Piranesi. Piranesi was... Uh, he was an architect himself, um, but he was also a printmaker and quite famous for doing views of the the architecture of classical Rome, the Roman Empire. Uh, I, was, I was just I was so excited. Did he inspire Sir John Soane? He was certainly one of the people that, that Soane was interested in. Um, and um, he, he also did this, this series of prints called um, Imaginary Prisons, and they're a little bit like um, it, it, it's this well, basically it's imaginary architecture, but 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 um, these colossal interior spaces, r- rather like um, often slightly absurdist spaces. And now the point is that that what we're looking at here is a, is a view of Blackfriars Bridge um, whilst it's under construction, and the architect of Blackfriars Bridge was a Scottish architect, architect called Robert Milne. He went to Rome as artists and architects did at that time to to study classical Roman architecture to get inspiration for, for their own designs. Obviously, he met Piranesi while he was there. Piranesi never came to London. And he commissioned Piranesi to make this print. And, and it's kind of interesting how Piranesi's kind of piranesi Blackfriars Bridge. It, it just has a... He's kind of increased without you necessarily being all that aware of it, but he's kind of upped the scale. It has a particularly kind of colossal grandeur to it, which um, it didn't quite have in real life. And you've got all these little, you know, you, you're looking at the bridge arc arches on, whilst they're under construction. So you've got this incredible complex structure of engineering through which they actually built the bridge arches at that point. Uh, and all these little scaffolders kind of scurrying all over it, you know, absolutely no sense of health and safety in the 1760s. <laughs> no, no, we've got chaps uh, just sort of standing uh, 50 feet up and dangling a bit of rope down to drive. The, the scaffolding itself is something to behold, and if there's any uh, and I, I take it that there would be architectural uh, structural accuracy in the depiction of it, it's, uh, it's breathtaking on its own. Yeah, well it is, and it, and it is you know, it's, it, it is accurate in the sense that this is how they constructed bridge arches at that point, because remember, you know we're building it out of stone um, stone by stone um, you know, and obviously pretty significantly large blocks of stone, but in order to, to support the arch until the keystone get, goes in at the top they built these um, as, a, as you as we were saying, these rather um, elaborate um, engineering structures, um, which out of timber. Uh, and if you look um, where where the arch um, scaffold actually hits the the sort of springing point, um, it's it's kind of keyed, and so that that as it took the strain, it would obviously slightly give. Un- under the under the sort of uh, weight of the stone, so quite quite an elaborate procedure. And then, obviously, once the keystone had gone in and the arch was locked, they could just take it all away. I can't help feeling that this represents, if not the pinnacle of uh, structural engineering at the time, it, it must be something pretty close to that. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it, it, again, you know, the whole exhibition. There's a slight sort of 
sub theme it's not not sort of um, made a big deal of but in a way that there, 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 a lot of the exhibition is about um, technology um, uh, and, and engineering and, and and how engineering obviously engineering developments affect the bridge you know at this point where we're still building stone bridges they're still rather classical in their architectural styling as i said um, mill went to to rome so you can just be see the beginnings um of of the the classical columns which would have um you know surmounted the piers the arch itself is a, a sort of classical hemispherical arc the Romans innovated with the with arches and keystones. That that was their thing, wasn't it? Well, absolutely. I mean, that that that's right. And just as an image, at the end of the day, I think I kind of liked it because the idea of a a London bridge is designed by a, a Scottish architect and envisioned by an Italian who'd never actually been here. Uh, it just seems somehow peculiarly London. That sort of mix of the of the um, the international and the national and the just just the mix of it. It just seemed. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that I remember where I've seen this image before, and I think I've seen it in an underpass under one of the southern f- footings of one of the bridges. I'm pretty sure that it's been accompanied by violin music in my mind. I think there, there are usually buskers down there. It may well actually be underneath Blackfriars, the current Blackfriars Bridge. Well, let's move on, and we're heading to the darker recesses of the exhibition. There's a section here which looks as though it may contain slides, I'm not sure. Yeah, this is a display which looks at slides. So these are glass lantern slides from the late 19th century. Uh, What we're actually looking at at the moment is actually a negative from the early part of the 20th century. It shows Tower Bridge, as, as we were saying earlier on, it's the 120th anniversary of Tower Bridge this year. The photograph or the photographer whose negative this uh, is, was a, a woman called Christina Broom, who was a pioneering female photographer in the, in the early 20th century. And one of the ways that she made a, a living, as well as photojournalism, was actually making postcards. Um, and the interesting thing about Tower is, of course, it coincides with the development of the postcard as a means of communication. So it's almost as if this quintessential London icon was... It couldn't have been built at a better time to reinforce its visual um, dominance. Dominance, I guess. Yeah, uh, not just the dominance over the city, but but as a as an icon of the city. You know, from this point on, it Tower Bridge is, becomes the icon of London, and it's interesting as well. You know, if you think about uh, this again, coming back to this idea of the bridge as a point from which you actually see the city, that the the two kind of um, Brackets almost for the for the view are these Victorian Gothic pastiches in a way. The Houses of Parliament on the one hand and Tower Bridge on the other. It's interesting as well because Broom was uh, somebody who photographed the suffrage movement in London, and uh, for some strange reason, the gift shops of London had decided that a postcard saying "Welcome to London" and a picture of uh, a bankhurst chambers and railings wasn't the image to go for. And uh, Tower Bridge won it. <laughs> Tower Bridge definitely won it at that point, yeah. As we look along, I can see Tower Bridge again in miniature paint still wet on it by the looks of it. And then we move further along. What do we have here? That one, well, it's and quite delicate. Fr- Francis thing. is taking out a, an enormous Sherlock Holmes yeah, magnifying right. glass. Uh, basically, this is, this is uh, we're in the Pool of London, so you've got all the shipping. And actually, that's Tower Bridge 
under construction so it hasn't got any any roofs on 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 the towers there's no bridge itself at all there's just the 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 vertical structures of the towers and and the the upper crossbar so it basically looks like um a gantry at the moment that really is fairly early on in its um construction i know a little bit about tower bridge and i i think i'm right in saying that the fancy gothic facade is really just pinned on the outside of something that's far stronger than it may appear yeah it's it's a it's it's a girder construction really and and the stone is just cladding around it as i said it's completely a pastiche although it looks gothic it's got nothing to do with uh, gothic construction at all. It's, it's was, it, was this thing ever in fashion? Was that the look that people were, were keen on? In, a, the ni- in the 19th century, yeah, in, in a big way. I mean, uh, it, obviously the, t- the Houses of Parliament um, are examples of it. Royal Courts of Justice display hmm. the gothic. It's the age of the Pre-Raphaelites, who again, it's gothic visualisations. Um, so very definitely it was the late 19th, mid, mid to late 19th century thing. It's, I suppose it's on its way out somewhat by this point. Well, I think that's what I was yeah. thinking, yeah. It seems a little late in the day. I wonder if by the time the planning and engineering had all been done, they'd changed their minds. <laughs> it's a good question. I suppose what, what, it, what um, there's all sorts of decisions going on when, when these things come up. I think the important thing about the bridge was, as much as what it looked like, was the fact that it, that it, that it had this drawbridge which would allow the traffic the shipping traffic to get into the pool because he was still a working port right close up into the centre of London at that point so the fact that the bridge could open up and, and it was literally I guess literally a gate into, the, into London for the, for the shipping that was as important as anything else well, we drifted a little further along the darkened gallery and a large button is about to be pressed by Francis Marshall yeah, this is this is um, uh, one of those objects where uh, it it both physically, in terms of what it is, and in terms of what it shows, it, it records a historic moment. Um, and what it is is um, a print by William Henry Fox Talbot, who was the basically the father of modern photography. He was one of the founding developers of photography, and uh, in the in the mid nineteenth early mid nineteenth century, uh, this print dates from 1845 it shows the Hungerford Bridge the original Hungerford Bridge designed by Isambard Kingdom Brunel 1845 is really very early in, in the history of photography and, and the technology hadn't quite wasn't quite f- finalised in a way Do you so mean the, the photographic technology or the bridge? Photographic technology um, so the, the, the photograph has to be kept um, in the dark uh, and, and, and its light exposure limited um, very much so it's on a timed button and, and this photograph is actually on display only for one month and will then be rotated with another early photograph. So if you want to see uh, an 1845 Fox Talbot, you've got one month to do it in, basically. I I would mention as well the fascinating detail here that this is a salt print, which is a kind of photograph I've never heard of. Yeah, basically, as I said, it's very very early in the the development of photography as a technique. The the thing about Fox Talbot, probably people have heard of um, daguerreotypes. Daguerreotypes were invented by um, a French photographer... Um, daguerreotypes are unique there is only one of any particular daguerreotype Fox Talbot's breakthrough was that he was working from a negative to a positive and was aware of and keen to develop the capacity for photography to be 
duplicatable, which obviously was the way photography went. Um, and as I said, basically this this is the beginnings. In some respects, it's the beginnings of a completely new way of looking at the world. We're never going to look at things the same again once this thing really takes off. So this is on a very limited timer. Um, so what we're going to see is um, uh, the the banks of the Thames with some um, Thames sailing barges um, pulled up onto the strand line, and behind that, Brunel's um, iron suspension bridge across the Thames. The button is pressed. The very faintest of images appears. It's white background and with golden detail on it. You can just about make out the structure of the bridge in the background and the keels of boats in the foreground. And one or two, uh, what look like construction cranes or maybe some sort of loading crane, I'm not sure. Um, and w- the one thing I do know about uh, the bridges by Brunel is that they were there just for an instant and then gone again weren't they? In this case um, it's, it's ironic that, that Fox Tolbert by contrasting the bridge with the old sailing barges was probably making a point about the changes in technology um, but Brunel's bridge was about 1845 that's when it opened within 15 years it had gone and was replaced by the railway bridge um, or rather, the piers were, re- were retained um, and the railway bridge built over those. The rest of the bridge was dismantled. The chains went to Clifton Suspension Bridge in Bristol. So it didn't quite go away. It was, it was recycled. Even then, it was recycled. But the interesting thing, of course, is that, that, that you know, the technology that Fox Talbot was recording was rapidly superseded, whereas the technology that he himself had developed, the, ph- the photograph, went on to as I said, changed the way we saw things. It certainly makes you appreciate some of the stuff you take for granted that's uh, in your pocket on your mobile phone in terms of ability to take reproduce images without negatives and, of course, bring it back to bridges, some of the uh, feats of construction that we see. You know, we mock the wobbly bridge, but uh, the fact that a bridge can go up that quickly where we want it is, is really something special. Yeah, well, as I said, there is a, a, a theme running through the show, and not not a, not a stressed theme, but it's definitely there that about the technology and the and the um, the, the, the way the bridges themselves um, change due to technology, and themselves they are technological feats. Well, we're right up against the end of our time, so we're going to have to reluctantly start to draw away from the bridge exhibition. You can do listen to the absolute opposite and uh, and come here. Uh, nearest DLR is West India Quay, but there's lots of other ways to get here as well. It looks as though Canary Wharf's a nice hub to wander across from if you fancy uh, uh, drifting across the bridge. If you can work out how to get out of that shopping centre, that's that's the challenge. How else can people get here? Uh, the other DLR station is West Ferry, which actually is just behind the, um, the museum. That's another way to get in. And we maybe should list websites and uh, contact details and all that. This is usually the point at which any curator goes, oh, really? <laughs> That's the one thing I never have to look at. <laughs> um, <let's, laughs> I'm getting that vibe from Francis Marshall just now. Well, I suspect Google might be your friend in, this, uh, in these circumstances. <laughs> Yeah, you can find us on our, our website. is www.museumoflondon.org.uk <laughs> Convincingly done, and if he's wrong, <laughs> Google it. And uh, the exhibition is open until when? 2nd of November.
Fantastic. Well, thanks for taking the time to show us around. Of course, if you want to see the image by Fox Talbot that we've just been talking about, you have much less time than that, so get your skates on. And uh, what's the cost to get in here? It's free. Listener, why wouldn't you be here? Francis Marshall, thanks very much. Thanks, thanks very much indeed. My heart aches for some far and that's all for this week. My thanks for this week to Francis Marshall. Thanks too to Mark Barr and Bernie Barkley. Theme and incidental music was by Songs from the Howling Sea. I'm in Quentin Wolf. Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.